0: It's good to see all of y'all this morning. It's a privilege to be here to speak with you. Um, For those of you that do not know me, my name is Sam Brooks and my wife and I have been here for about two and a half years. And we constantly are amazed and we constantly uh, tell each other that this is home. And I once heard a definition of home. I said, home is a place that when you go there, you're always welcome and received. And that's truly a truth about this this church This fellowship and this congregation So uh, we appreciate Being part and appreciate Joel Pastor Joel giving us an opportunity this morning To share with you And um, if you're like me I've, I've really been Enjoying his Uh, series and Sermon on the Mount and look forward to hearing the rest of it and finish it and he will be back with us before uh, I don't know if it's next week I guess Uh, he'll be back but anyway today we are here so let's uh, look into the word of God and see what blessing God might have for us and what truth he might want us to see and know and what uh, he would like us to take away today as we uh, finish our worship and looking into the word Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 77 and what we're basically gonna be talking about is the idea of grief. And um, the reason that uh, I'm sharing this is my family has recently experienced a uh, a season that uh, grief is part of it. And uh, we uh, have seen, uh, know what grief can do to the individual and we see what it can do in other people and we can watch and observe. And so as a result of that and other things that have happened along the way, I began to rethink about grief and look into the word. I said, Lord, I I need to understand a little bit more about this whole subject, this whole idea of grief. And so as I searched the word, I came across Psalm 77 and I thought it, it kind of capsulized the whole of experience. Uh, it takes us from the writer's experience, it takes us to the conclusions he makes and then it takes us into the resolution to the remedy of what God has for us uh, when grief strikes us. Now, <clears throat> to begin with, what I wanna do is I wanna share with you what I mean and what the scriptures mean or what I understand the scriptures to mean that grief is. grief is not the only word you'll see sometimes you see words like deeply troubled you'll see the words like deeply burdened Uh, uh, you will see uh, the idea and the concept of sorrow or distress Uh, but I use the word grief because it's the one I'm the most familiar with it's the one that is also used the scriptures tell us in the New Testament that we are to grieve or that we grieve but not as those who have no hope so we see that grief is part of the human experience it happens and uh, it will probably happen in your life before you pass on if it hasn't already as I look out among us especially those of you that are my generation probably we have already already experienced grief most of us But at the same time, those of you who are young can experience grief. Grief comes through events, different events, not always the same, but they're events that have high impact, especially high emotional impact upon us. That the first thing that usually happens is we're shocked, and then we have an emotion of sorrow or sadness, and then as grief sets in and works on us, uh, it can lead us into numbness. Uh, and it will cause us <clears throat> in the uh, event that we don't really find a God's path soon. It can cause us to questioning God, who he is, what he's done. Our own experience with God cause us to question his word. Uh, it can put us in a position. Thank like, you. It can put us in a position where we are uh, uh, really begin to even doubt our faith, doubt God, think that He has abandoned us, and uh, so those of you that have experienced probably experienced grief probably have have experienced some of those additional emotions, especially if in the middle of your grief. Uh, it becomes somewhat unbearable and you cry out to God and you're searching for relief and you're searching to see what he has to say or what is going on and, and you don't hear anything from him. And if you don't hear anything from him, it can lead you to questioning, and questioning can lead you to improper conclusions because usually by the time you get to questioning God and wondering what's going on in grief, you've already switched from thinking in a rational understanding or thinking from the spirit into reacting from your emotions. And when you start reacting from your emotions, you start thinking that your emotions are telling you the truth. And the truth of God then, which is really the truth becomes what you think not real and it becomes convoluted in our thinking and in our understanding and we see it, it manifests itself in our uh, actions, in our thought life, even in our conversation. So I want us to look today in Psalm 77 because you're going to see how it affected the writer of the Psalms. The writer of the Psalm we believe is Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader He worshiped in the sanctuary, led people in worship in the sanctuary, in the temple of God, or in the tabernacle of God, actually, during the time, because at the time that he was with King David, it wasn't, uh, the temple had not yet been built, but in the tabernacle of God, and he was appointed by King David to be one of the ones who led the congregation in worship. And so this writer understands what it means to have fellowship with God, to know God, what it means to live in the presence of God and he has the experience of seeing God move and work and yet as you walk through this psalm you're going to see all of that come into question and then he's going to make a conclusion that is devastating when we hear it and we may even wonder why someone would ever say something like that. So join me as we look into the scripture. I want us to look at the first six verses because in the first six verses, we're going to see what his experience actually was. He's writing experientially. He's telling us what he's experiencing and feeling and doing. And verses one through six says this, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched the Lord, searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with with my hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You wouldn't let me sleep I'm too depressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I searched my soul and pondered the difference now. I wanna take those words and just kind of bring them into how we might express them today. What he's basically saying is, I cried out to God it doesn't necessarily mean he shed a lot of tears, but probably they were involved. But it simply means he was calling out for God. He was asking God to hear him, to listen to him. And yet God remained silent and didn't answer. It said he searched for God, sought him. If you will notice, these are active words. These are not some kind of passive words. Uh, embracing of the situation. These are active words. He is in a state where he wants to find solutions. He's in a state where he wants relief. If any of you have ever been in grief, you know what that is. You want relief. Because the longer it goes, the heavier it seems it falls on you. It gets very debilitating. For any of you that have ever watched somebody walk in grief, You can see it on them. You can hear it in what they're saying. You can see it in their actions. And it becomes very perplexing to you as how to minister to them. And so for us this morning, we want to see and understand what the grief is and maybe some of the ways that it would manifest itself. And here he's saying, I've cried and I haven't heard anything. I've determined to see God. I haven't found anything. I meditate upon him. I remember who he is. He calls to his past and says, I can remember times we got together and, and, and it was filled with songs, joyous songs and great fellowship. We've seen God move. We've heard his voice. We've seen him act. And now I look at the situation and I ponder, what's happening? What's the difference? He even goes on to say, you know, Lord, this whole thing, grief, you're not answering me and you're not responding. My searching and not finding, and not finding comfort has left me sleepless. I can't find sleep, I can't find rest. I'm dreary, and so whenever I try to pray, I just give up in frustration and futility. I have no more strength. And those of you that are here who've experienced grief, I think you can shake your head, yes, this pretty much accurately describes what it feels like. He's experienced it, perhaps you have too. I know I have. And as he continues on in verses 7 through 9, he says this. He raises questions is what he's doing. The same type of questions that you would ask if you were in distress, you were experiencing deep trouble. It's penetrated into your soul. It's penetrated into your being. There's a heaviness that's with it. There's kind of a foreboding with it. And you're trying to find relief. You don't hear, you don't see God, you search his word, you can't find any relief. And pretty soon questions begin to come. And these are the questions that he asks. He says, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again Be kind to me. Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Again, allow me to bring that into what we might say in our situation today, the way we might express it. Why won't you answer me, God? Where are you? Why have you abandoned me, God? Don't you love me anymore? Did you ever love me? Are your truths and your your word is it is it is it true? Are your promises are they really true? Or is it just something that I've believed and it's empty? Lord, when I think of how it used to be, and I look at what's happening now, and none of these questions are being answered, I can only come to one conclusion. And notice what the writer says. For those of you, I'm using the New Living Testament, all right, so my might say a little different than yours, but I'm gonna read what he says, the conclusion he draws. The writer draws this conclusion and I would surmise that we do too too often. He says this is my fate. The most high God has turned his hand against me. Again putting that in the way we might express it well this is the way it's going to be. God's rejected me. God's abandoned me. There's no hope. I see a couple of people nodding their head, like, yep, I've been there. When grief has entered into our lives to such an extent that we can identify with what he's saying here in the Psalms, especially on an emotional level, we can begin to understand why our thinking gets all skewed. We can begin to understand what it really feels like and how real it feels that God doesn't care and how real it feels that God has left us and we don't know why he's angry with us we can't figure it out Job is a story in the in the scriptures a whole books written on the life of Job or the experience that Job had with grief you know the beginning of the story Job is a man who's living the life as you read through the book you find a little bit more and more of his life but this is a man who's concerned about other people he's concerned about people who don't have enough he's generous He's kind, he receives people into his home, he's hospitable. God calls him blameless. God points him out to Satan one day when Satan comes into God's presence. God points Job out and says, hey, see my servant Job? Now there's a man who's blameless. Satan looks at God and says, yeah, well, yeah, that's all true and fine, but the only reason to do that, you got such a hedge around him, nobody can touch him. But you let me get a hold of him, I guarantee you, he'll curse you to your face. Now, Job doesn't know any of this. He wakes up one morning and Satan has begun his work. Before he's even had breakfast. some of his servants come to him and says, your children were all gathered together last night and were enjoying festivities together and the, and the building they were in collapsed upon them, and they're all dead. And he hadn't even finished his conversation with Job and another servant comes up and says, master, all your herds and all your flocks were out in the fields and a tornado came through, and destroyed every one of them. All of your flocks, all of your herds, they're all dead. All your economic possessions are gone. And that doesn't even begin to sink in until all of a sudden Job is feeling pain in his body. And before the day's over, he's covered from head to foot in boils. If any of you've ever had a boil, you know how painful they can be. Imagine your whole body filled with boils. And Job finds himself sitting on an ash heap, taking scraps of pottery and scraping his boils in his body and trying to find relief, all the while crying out to God, but he finds no relief. And then, three friends come by. Now the scripture said that they came to cheer him up. Those of you that know the story and those of you that have been in grief, if you had friends like that, you just soon not. (laughs) But it's very interesting what they observed. They observed that Job's grief was so great that they could do nothing for the first seven days except just sit there with him and mourn. Job himself describes his grief this way. He said, you know, if you could take it and put it on a scale and weigh it, it would be heavier than all the sand of the sea. And not only that, but it is so heavy upon me, it causes me to speak impulsively. A Man called me one day, said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, fine. So we met to talk and when he came and I saw him, I could tell, I said, man, there is something wrong with this guy. Normally he was always well-dressed and athletic looking and very confident looking you could just tell this man was deeply 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 sad as we began to converse he said you know I'm so tired of always feeling like I'm on the outside looking in I'm so tired of always feeling like everybody else knows the secrets and I don't, and nobody will tell me. And he began to speak about his life and how he was frustrated with God and living because of the events of his life. I knew some of the events of his life and they were good. They were some positive things, but his grief affected how he looked at everything It affected his appearance it affected his thinking it affected his speech and his thinking that was negative led by emotions only began to affect his actions which had an adverse effect on his life and in the midst of it all he could find no peace with God that's what the psalmist was feeling that's what Job was feeling and I dare say that there's people in here this morning who have felt that and probably many of you right now are feeling it you might be right in the midst of it I know the people in Mississippi there's a lot of people in Mississippi that are in the midst of it and what do we do We resort to emotion and we say, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? Why won't you take it away? And some of us will even yell at God, depending upon our temperament. But all of us are extremely frustrated and entertain and embrace the idea that God doesn't care he's abandoned me the truths that I've thought are true aren't and we get into despair that was the psalmist that was Job and that may be you or me there's some events in my family's recent past it caused that grief to come in in fact actually it began while we were here right here in a service not in a service but in the what do you call them life groups it started with a phone call that quick life changed That's how fast it can happen. A tornado sweeps through, that fast, life changes. You get a diagnosis, that fast, life changes. You begin to have constant pain, that quick, life changes. You have an economic turnaround, a crash, that quick most of us identify with death as the cause of grief but there are a lot of other events that can cause grief Job's an illustration perhaps you are what do you do with it? you just kind of trudge along and hope someday it'll get better well you look down the aisle of the future and you see nothing but darkness you see nothing but hopelessness it clouds your memory, it clouds your thinking, it clouds your emotions, it clouds your speech, it clouds your decisions, and it makes you angry. And that anger usually is attributed to God, focused on God. But is that all there is in life? Or is there an answer? Well, the Psalm has found an answer down in verse 11. Verse 11, he says, but then. And I like it when I read but then in scriptures. I like it. Because that means something's getting ready to happen. And if you read scriptures enough, you begin to realize when he says, but then, something good's gonna happen. You see, we were yet sinners, but God. What? What? We were lost in sin, but God, something good's gonna happen. He came and showed us salvation and deliverance, and we embraced it, and our lives changed. But somehow, when we get in grief, we have a problem, and we're looking for that, but then, but it doesn't come readily, but it will. And it comes, notice what he says. He said, then. I recall all you have done. Verse 11 I recall all you have done. Oh Lord I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. Now we read that and we just think okay he began to think about things of God but if you have the opportunity to have somebody explain some of of the, the emotion behind the expression there is that is a very hard thought purposed determination to do it everything was against him in emotional ways and he had to choose and purpose to remember the things of God and it says he began to focus on that and as he did he probably spoke things about what God had done in the past God's history who he is what he's done for his people even things in his own life where he'd seen God work And as he spoke upon it and as he meditated upon it and as he forced himself to think it and rehearse and remember it, something miraculous and marvelous happened. Verse 12, verse 12 says, then they are consistently in my thought or constantly in my thought and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works and I cannot stop to think about your ways. They're holy. And is there a God as mighty as you? I want us to look and see what God has done here for us. He purposed to think about what God had done in the past rather than dwelling in his present and fearing the future. He's looked to see who is this God that I said I don't believe in anymore, but that I once did, and what has he done? And as he begins to think on it, the Holy Spirit then begins a work. And the Holy Spirit begins to come into the situation and bring life into it. You see, the Holy Spirit brings the truth. And up to now, his emotions have had him believing lies. Well, I call it, and we call it lie-based thinking. But the Holy Spirit begins to bring truth and reveal This is a mighty God that I'm saying I don't believe in. This is the God who has been present in my past and has done this and this and this and this and this. And I have testimony from others that he's done this and this and this. Nobody could do this, but the living God. And as he begins to think on it, and as the Holy Spirit begins to work in his life, the truth begins to take effect and the truth begins to survive and rise up and overtake the false lies and the false feelings. And he begins to see and understand that God really is mighty. And then he remembers a specific incident that happened with the people of Israel. It's down in verse 16. He says, when the Red Sea saw you, and i just wanna stop right there because when I say the Red Sea, everybody knows what I'm talking about. If you've been in in the Bible at all, the Red Sea. He begins to think about what happened and what was swirling around Israel's experience at the Red Sea. They have just escaped 400 years of bondage from the Egyptians, a great day of rejoicing as they marched out with their cattle and their sheep and all their possessions and even extra possessions as the Egyptians had heaped upon them treasures, they marched out, it was a great day of rejoicing. But that was tempered pretty quickly as they began to run into bumps in the desert and now they're facing the Red Sea and they're looking before them, what do we do now? What do we do now? And then they look behind them and they see Pharaoh's army coming, gathering to destroy them. So as they look forward, they think hopeless. As they look back, they think destruction. And what happened at the Red Sea is what happens with us when we fall into deep grief. We look at God and say, Where are you? Why are you doing this? It was better before. But God says, Go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Go forward. forward." They look at the Red Sea and the psalmist says, God had prepared a roadway that nobody could see. All they saw was water. Moses said, go forth. And he stuck out his rod and the Red Sea parted. And you know what happened? They all went skipping through, right? Think about that. You have death behind you and you have a wall of water in front of you. And God says, go forward. That going forward has to be by faith and confidence and trust in God because at any moment Your brain will tell you at any moment, that water can fall on me and kill me, drown me. They walked through by faith. They walked through by faith. In verse 27, no, excuse me, verse 19. The road led through the sea your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep. Grief has a solution, through by faith. Go through by faith. It doesn't just mean endure. It means you trust God in the midst of what's going on, though you don't see him and you don't feel him and you don't hear him. This is when you have to lean upon the character of the mighty God who has done wonderful things in your life, things in the past that when you look on, you can clearly say, God did that, God did that, God did that and now that I am in this strait, this time of grief and this time of mourning this time of deep trouble whatever has caused it and it looks hopeless I remember my God and my God does great things and my God makes a path when there is no path and I don't see a path in front of me but I'm taking the next step and God meets us and we take another step as God meets us. And we take another step as God meets us. And pretty soon we're walking more and more confidently, more and more confidently that God's gonna meet us. And then we realize something, that the night of weeping has now become a dawn of rejoicing. What I thought was the end was the end of how it was. What I see now is what God is doing. And instead of despair, I now have hope. There's a verse in Jeremiah 29. Talks about God. He says, I know the plans that I have for you where we're in the midst of grief and our emotions are driving us and we're thinking in terms of what we see and what we feel only, we don't believe God has any plans for us. And we sure don't believe he has any future that has any hope in it. But when we walk through by faith and take the step and God meets us and takes another step and God meets us. And we take another one and pretty soon we're walking. We begin to see, you know what? As hard as it was and as grievous as it was and as much as I still miss if we've lost a person, God has a plan for my life. It's not over. He's not abandoned me. He's not left me. He's not angry with me. He is the God of deliverance. He is the God of mercy. He is the God who loves, and he is the God who makes a way when I can see no way. It's a hard saying. It's a hard lesson. We don't like it. We have adverse feelings as we learn it, but I'm here to tell you the way out is through not just keeping a stiff upper lip but confidently casting your cares upon him and trusting him to make a way when there is no way that's our God Jesus experienced that remember the night he was betrayed he said father if there's any other way let's do it this is after he's told his disciples multiple times what was going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. When the emotions and the heaviness came, Jesus showed us how to respond. He was honest. He said, Lord, if there's another way, let's do it. All of us, when we're in the middle of grief, saying, Lord, take it away. Let's do something else. This is not fun. It doesn't look good. Jesus walked it by faith. He had to trust his father. And he said so. Because if you know that passage where Jesus said, my soul grieves as unto death, you also know that he prayed. And when he said, if there's another way, he concluded that prayer with these words. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. In your grief, at your deepest time, you've got to say, I don't like it. I wish we could do something else. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours. I'm trusting your character. I'm trusting you to see me through. And Jesus saw it all the way through to the cross, to the crucifixion, to the burial, to the resurrection. And you and I sit here today, when we face grief, we have hope. Why? Because Jesus has showed us, walk the path that God has for you and you will find life. As much as you may not think so, I've never seen God fail. I've seen the times when it seems like he's taken forever, but he's never failed. And that's our hope, folks. The way out is through. The way through is by faith, directed by God on a road and a path not visible to us, but readily opened when we say yes. Amen. I'd like to close in prayer for those of you. There may be some of you and from some of your heads, either you've experienced grief or you're experiencing it right now. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like for you to think about what you're experiencing and hear what we said today and I'd like for you to pray for yourself as well while I pray and I'd like for you to think in terms of this your first prayer your first part of your prayer is God I thank you that you've not abandoned me you may feel like it he may be silent but that doesn't mean he's abandoned you The second thing in your prayer, I'd like you to pray this, Lord, I don't like this path, but I accept it. And I will walk with it, walk in it, because I know you will walk with me. And then the third is this, Lord, show me what I need to know along the way and show me, Lord, what I need to do along the way turn my mourning into joy Father I pray for those who are suffering grief Father for whatever reason to whatever whatever depths But I pray, Father, that you would show them that you've not abandoned them. You still love them, you're still present, you're still with them, though they don't hear you. I pray, Father, you would show them that. I pray, Father, that they would be able to confess that. I pray, Father, that they would choose to walk the way that you have, though it looks hopeless because your pathway is the way of life, Father. I pray for them that they would realize that. I ask you to show them. I ask you to encourage them in that manner. I ask you, Father, to show them what they need to do, if anything, what they need to know, especially, Father, that they know you're with them, you love them, and you've not abandoned them. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, And I ask that you show them the plans that you have for them. Plans that include a hope and a future. This is not the end, and this is not all that it will ever be. And Father, I pray that in the midst of it all, we would remember your character and the eternal hope that we have. And that is that one day our present suffering will be past and we won't even consider it in light of the glory that we will enter into. Have your way, Father. Take guide and lead. Deliver and set free for your glory. And then, Father, let us be a testimony and a comfort to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.